Hi, hello, how are you? Thank you so much for joining me. My name is Elizabeth Dale and I am a writer with a little bit of an obsession with telling Cornwall's hidden histories and unusual stories. Big and small, bizarre and curious, you will find me writing about them on my blog or talking about them here on my new podcast. So thank you again for joining me and let's get down to it. What are we going to be talking about today? Well, I thought I'd give you a little bit of uh, background about myself that you may or may not know. So I only graduated from university in 2018 um, and I was 40 at that point. So yes, I was a bit of a late starter. But going back into education was undoubtedly the best thing that I have done. It started me on this amazing journey and uh, introduced me to so many amazing people that have had such a positive impact on my life. And last year uh, in September, I went on a bit of adventure with two of those people that I went to university with. I promise there is a Cornish connection here and I am getting around to it. But anyway, Evelyn and myself flew out to the deserts of Arizona to meet up with Carly. Now Carly, for some reason best known to herself, had decided to come and study um, journalism and creative writing with us lot here in Cornwall. And uh, we decided that we should go out and see her in her native desert environment. So that's what we went to do. So I suspect that uh, some of you may have already guessed where I'm going with this conversation because weeks before I even got on that plane to Phoenix, Arizona, I was feverishly researching any Cornish connections that I could find that I could explore while I was out there. And of course, those cousin Jacks, oh, we get everywhere. And I found a couple of really fascinating stories that I've decided I would like to share with you today. So we're going to be talking about Billy Kinsman from Gwenop and William Rogers from Brieg and how they found themselves in the wild deserts of Arizona and what befell them while they were there. So although I am very much in love with my native Cornwall, and I would never want to live anywhere else. I have actually travelled quite a bit. Um, I spent roughly 10 years abroad. I've visited more than 50 countries. I've been across Africa, uh, all around Asia and Central America. But nothing quite prepared me for the landscape in Arizona. It's like nothing that I had ever seen before. It is so vast. Those horizons are just huge and the heat is oppressive. And everywhere are those saguaro cactuses, the famous uh, ones with arms or look like they have arms that you see in all the Wild West movies. Well, they only grow in a really specific area in Arizona, which is something that I didn't know before. And an American writer called Craig Childs has written specifically about the deserts of Arizona. And he actually wrote, these deserts are mummifiers and they are bone makers. And having visited it, it was something that I could totally relate to. But the other thing that I kept thinking when I was standing there in in those huge, dusty, baking hot landscapes was, what did the Cornishmen who got here actually think 
of these landscapes so so different from anything in Cornwall. We uh, live in this beautiful green lush landscape that is harsh in other ways but nothing in comparison to this. So how did Billy Kinsman and William Rogers end up in the deserts of Arizona? Now I should point out that these two men's stories are entirely separate from each other. They didn't know each other at all. But what does connect them is they both started their lives in Cornwall and ended them in Arizona. They were just two of the estimated 500,000 Cornish that left their homeland in the early 19th century when uh, mining in Cornwall had started to fail and men were forced to look for work elsewhere. Now the Cornish Jacks ended up all across the globe. You could find them in South Africa, in Australia and of course out in America. They would arrive by boat and then they could purchase these sort of bargain train tickets which would take them anywhere in the United States and many of them settled in Colorado, California, Nevada and of course where we're talking about in Arizona. William Rogers was the youngest of five children that had been born um, at Ashton near Brieg and he was uh, from a long line of miners. His father and both his grandfathers had worked underground and he wanted to follow in, in their footsteps but was finding it hard to get work in Cornwall so decided to take that huge step of going to America. So on the 29th of July 1889 he boarded the SS Umbria and the ship's log records his name, age and his occupation as minor. Now it might be worth mentioning at this point that the Cornish had a bit of a reputation abroad. They were considered very clannish, that they stuck together and so arriving in a new town um, as William must have. Being a Cornishman had his advantages. He was more likely to be hired by the Cornish mine captains and in some cases they even got better rates of pay than other nationalities and special privileges as well. After William Rogers arrived in the US we know that he worked in Colorado for about five years and then in 1894 he decided to make his way to Arizona. Now this is probably because there had been a massive gold rush there and he seems to be making his way to the Harquehalla Mountains. The town of Harquehalla is now a complete desert ghost town, there's practically nothing to see but in the late 19th century there was an absolute bonanza there. Men were literally picking up gold nuggets from the desert floor and in the 19th century around 4 million US dollars of gold was mined there so it's no wonder that our William Rogers was attracted to the area. Sadly, however, he never made it because on the 19th of May 1894, the local newspaper reported that two bodies had been found in the desert being between Prescott and Harquehalla. And this is where the mystery for us really begins. So the two men's bodies were found in the deserts near Cullings Well. 
Now Cullingswell is the only water source for a hundred miles and it was established by a man called Charles Cullings who I don't know how he knew to dig but he dug down 250 feet, that's 70 odd metres, to find a water source and his water source was the only one that you could find along this route that our Cornishman was taking. Now consequently that part of the desert had already a terrible reputation for men dying literally of thirst in the desert before they could reach the well. Now Charles Cullings obviously had a really good business going. He would charge uh, 25 cents per horse or per animal that was passing through and 50 cents for a barrel of water. Now initially it was assumed that William Rogers and the man accompanying him, a man known as William MacDonald, were simply victims of becoming disorientated in the desert and dying of thirst. But as the details began to emerge, things got a little bit strange and I'm going to try and lay out those circumstances for you now and then you can make your own judgment, see what you think may have happened. So it transpired that when the men's bodies were found, they were found lying flat out on their backs with their hands crossed across their bodies and their hats over their faces. So not exactly the position you would die in if you were dying of dehydration. William Rogers had a note uh, in his journal to his mother um, the note just simply says who he is, um, that he doesn't want his mother to grieve and that he has a trunk full of possessions in Colorado and that the key for it is in his pocket. William MacDonald has a letter of credit in his pocket which is uh, for £15 and 3 shillings and it's made out to a Constance Hoskins. So rumours of foul play quickly began to circulate and these were only exacerbated when an anonymous letter was sent to a local newspaper claiming that the two men had actually set off as a party of four so there had been four of them starting out on the journey and not only that but William MacDonald was not actually William MacDonald but that he was a man called Hoskin. By this time the family back in Cornwall and Brieg had been notified and they began communicating by letter with Justice Kincaid who was the man who was in charge of the investigation and they made it quite clear that they didn't believe the story that they were being told. Now subsequent investigations showed that Constant Hoskins, the lady that was on the credit note, was uh, also living in Brieg and her husband William Hoskins was somewhere out in America so obviously the conclusion is that he was the man that died with William Rogers. It's entirely possible that they knew each other from Brieg and somehow met up when they were out in the US. How the confusion happened with the misidentification of the body isn't really clear. Although in his letter to his mother, William Rogers does mention that he is travelling with his partner, MacDonald. Bizarrely, the anonymous letter to the newspaper 
also says that MacDonald and an unknown man arrived at Harquehala safe and well and made no mention whatsoever that they had left two men dying in the desert. So unfortunately we have a mass of unanswered questions. It was never really established how the two men died and although William Rogers' family and Bree continued to write to Justice Kincaid asking uh, for updates on the investigation, it really seems that nothing further happened. William Rogers was laid to rest uh, in a grave at Cullingswell, which is still there to this day. Our second story takes us even deeper into the classic Wild West because Billy Kinsman found himself in Tombstone, the town of Wyatt Earp and the shootout at the OK Corral. Now visiting Tombstone was a real experience. This is like a hyped up version of the Victorian village at Flambards. The whole town is in on the act. So uh, all the shop owners are in costume. Uh, You've still got proper old school saloons. It's an amazing place to visit. And of course, after watching a a reenactment of the shootout at the OK Corral, I went looking for our Cornishman, Billy Kinsman. William Kinsman was always known as Billy and he was born in Gwenop in 1858 and was the son of John and Catherine Kinsman and he also had three sisters. Now in 1879 the whole family emigrated to the USA. They started life in Nevada and then in 1880 they all moved to Tombstone and the family uh, moved into a house on Tough Nut Street. Now, you may or may not know that Tombstone is also known as the town too tough to die and was infamous uh, for shootings and murders. But it was the murder of Billy Kinsman that really shook the town to its core because it was committed by a woman. So Billy was a miner. The town of Tombstone at that time was surrounded by silver mines. Um, We're not too sure how well he was doing, but he is described in the town newspaper, which was the epitaph. He is described as a sporting man and that he was a frequent visitor to saloons and to gambling dens. So it gives us the impression that our Billy Kinsman was not entirely innocent in what was about to follow. We actually have a photograph of Billy um, and I have to say he's quite a handsome looking chap. Uh, For the period he has a massive luxurious moustache and some beautifully coiffured hair and he's wearing a rather dapper looking tweed jacket. So he looks like he's doing pretty well for himself and on the 23rd of February 1883 Billy was coming out of the Oriental Saloon. Now the Oriental Saloon was really famous. It was, uh, it belonged to the uh, Earp brothers and was considered to be the fanciest place in the whole region. It had a stage for entertainment and gambling tables for cards and all kinds of other games and a very fancy mahogany bar and and the uh, Oriental Saloon still exists to this day. You can go and sit inside and have a drink. The main street through Tombstone is Allen Street and it's lined with shops and these uh, shady wooden walkways and it was here 
on the 23rd of February 1883 at about 10 o'clock in the morning that a labourer called Alfonso saw May Woodburn approach Billy Kinsman outside the Oriental Saloon and shoot him straight in the chest. So how did we get to this point? Well, May Woodman is a bit of an elusive character. She was born Mary McIntyre and seems to have alternated between Mary and May. Uh, She married Lewis Woodman, but by the early 1880s, their relationship had already broken down. And Lewis actually put an advert in the tombstone epitaph saying that he would no longer be responsible for any debts that May ran up as she had left his house without cause or provocation. Now, when May and uh, Billy actually met is a bit of a mystery, although during the court case there were reports that she may have already been seeing him while she was still living with her husband Lewis. But the events that would lead to May shooting Billy Kinsman dead in the street uh, began a little earlier and it all started, it seems, with a practical joke, a slightly cruel practical joke. It appears that some of Billy's friends put an advert in the tombstone epitaph announcing the engagement of May and Billy. Three days later, Billy put his own advert in the paper in which he denounced any kind of engagement between himself and May. And it seems that not only was she hurt, but she was obviously very publicly embarrassed as well. And let's face it, a woman scorned and all that. There were several witnesses to the shooting who said that she was very cool, very calm and collected, walked straight up to Billy, said a few words and shot him point blank in the chest. The witnesses also said that uh, she aimed her gun at him again to shoot a second time. But fortunately, a man who was close by managed to grab her and pull her away. The shot did go off, but it bounced off the wooden boardwalk and missed Billy. But there can be little doubt really that May meant serious business and sadly uh, Billy died quite soon after of blood loss. May's trial created a bit of a media frenzy. Uh, The story itself was just too titillating and the fact that the uh, perpetrator was a woman uh, was so unusual that it created a lot of interest. And May herself didn't shy away from this. She released several statements in which she claimed that Billy had mistreated her, that she had been mistreated and assaulted while she was uh, being held in custody and there was uh, an awful lot of sympathy towards her. Billy, of course, was not there to defend himself and May told uh, the jury of nine men that he had forced her to have an abortion as well as, obviously, the embarrassing story that had come out in the press in which he had point-blank denied any association with her. The verdict came in May 1883 and she was found guilty of the lesser charge of manslaughter and only sentenced to five years in prison, which, considering there had been so many witnesses to the act who had all said that she had behaved in a very calm and measured way, it does seem a little bit lenient. 
after the sentencing, May's mother managed to gather a petition with 200 signatures on it from residents of Tombstone, which she gave to the governor, all petitioning for May's release. And for whatever reason, perhaps because they they didn't like the fact of sentencing a woman for this crime, I really can't guess, but for whatever reason it was, the governor of Arizona actually released May after she had only served three months in prison. She was released on the condition that she leave Arizona and never return, which she did, and we never hear of May again. As for Billy, he was buried in the famous Boot Hill graveyard, which is just outside of Tombstone, and is an amazing place to visit. It's full of the graves of the famous outlaws and murder victims of uh, this crazy little town in the back end of nowhere in Arizona. I should probably add a bit of a side note to this because there is a temptation to side with the Cornishman to see Billy as the victim but there is a distinct possibility that the reason that May's sentence was so light and the reason that the governor of Arizona decided to release her early was that she really had been poorly treated by Billy while he was alive and that she had been assaulted and abused by the prison staff while she was being held awaiting her trial. I suppose the one thing that we can take away from these two stories, the story of William Rogers and of Billy Kinsman, is that being a cousin Jack may seem or to us now looking back as this romantic adventure that these men were going off around the world, visiting places that they would never have dreamt of and potentially earning their fortune and coming back home to Cornwall as rich men. It wasn't always like that. It it certainly wasn't always like that. The places that they were going to were often, as well as being alien and unfamiliar, they were often really lawless and dangerous for them. And although I've only picked out two stories here, there were lots of other stories of of Cornishmen falling on hard times and getting themselves into really sticky situations when they, they were away in these weird and wonderful places. So that's it really. I I really hope that you've enjoyed this episode. I feel like my podcast is turning into a bit more of a a discussion on on the people, um, the Cornish men and women, the ordinary men and women and, and their lives and their stories. And I hope that's okay. It's been a bit of a longer episode this time. So give me some feedback if you think it's too long. I could have broken it into two parts, I suppose, but I kind of wanted to do Billy and and William together. So I really hope you've enjoyed it and I hope to speak to you again very soon. Take care. Bye bye.